Chapter Thirty of Northwest. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Northwest by Harold Bindloss. Chapter Thirty, The Gully. Day broke drearily. The sky was dark and snow clouds rolled about the peaks. In the hollow behind the rock, Stannard's party crowded around the spirit lamp. One could get no warmth, but in the snowy wilds the small blue flame and steaming kettle called. Moreover, each would soon receive a measured draught of strong hot tea. All were numb, and their faces were pinched. Stevens was frankly despondent and when Dillon broke his hard bannock his stiff hands shook. Gillane was apathetic, but when Stannard measured out the tea he joked and Deering laughed. To laugh cost the big man something, but he knew he must. Stern effort was needed, and human effort does not altogether depend on muscular strength. The packer's mood was daunting, and it was obvious they would not get much help from him. Jimmy was quiet. He must concentrate on holding out and could not force a laugh. He admitted he had not pluck like Stannard's. Stannard was indomitable, and now his gay carelessness was very fine. Although he was the oldest of the party and his face was haggard, he joked, and his jokes were good. When the meal was over, he got up and beat his hands. "'We must get down before dark, and I think I know a line,' he said. "'If our luck is good, we'll camp in the trees by a splendid fire.' To start was hard, but they got off, and the snow was firm. The steep slope below the neck was smooth, and for a time they made progress. Jimmy remarked the thickening snow cloud and knew Stannard thought it ominous, for he pushed on as fast as possible. So far one could use some speed. The obstacles were in front. The snowfield stopped at the top of a chain of precipices. The rocks were broken by the deep gap through which the glaciers went, but Jimmy noted smaller breaks he thought were gullies filled by snow. He could not see the front of the precipices, but he pictured their falling for six or seven hundred feet. At the bottom, no doubt, were steep spurs and long ridges, across which one might reach the trees rolling up from the valley. The precipice was the main obstacle, but Jimmy did not think the rocks were perpendicular. Anyhow, the glacier was not, and if one could cross the ice falls, it would carry them down. The trouble was, the cloud was getting thick. After a time, they stopped at the head of the glacier, and Stannard, Jimmy, and Deering climbed to a shelf that commanded the ice fall. Mist rolled about, but for some distance one saw the bright white belt curve down between the rocks. Then Jimmy saw the fall and set his mouth. The snowy ice was piled in tremendous blocks and split by yawning cracks. It looked as if the cracks went to the bottom, and one imagined others hidden by fresh snow. 
Stannard turned to Deering, who shook his head. The boys can't make it. I doubt if you can. Nothing's doing. Very well, said Stannard. I marked a gully about two miles south. I don't know if you'll like it, but we must get down. Deering pulled out his watch. You have got to hustle. The boys can't stand for another night on the mountain. When they rejoined the others, it looked as if his remarks was justified. Gillane declared if they could not cross the icefall, they must stop and freeze. Stevens owned he was exhausted, and doubted if he could reach the gully. Jimmy would sooner have risked the fall, since he was persuaded the other line would not carry them down. But if Stannard thought the line might go, he was willing to try it. They fronted the laborious climb to the snowfield, and soon after they got there the mist blew across the slope. The party was now drawn out in a straggling row, and by and by Deering stopped and looked about. He knew two or three were behind him, but he saw nobody. "'Where are the boys?' he shouted. Peter said he had not seen Stevens and Dillon for some time, but they were no doubt pushing along, and the party's track was plain. "'I'm going back,' said Deering. "'Watch out for Jimmy.' He plunged into the mist and presently found Stevens sitting in the snow. Dillon was with the lad, and when Deering arrived urged him to get up. Stevens dully refused, and said there was no use in the others bothering. He could go no farther. Deering pulled him up and shoved him along. "'You're going to the gully anyhow,' he shouted with a jolly laugh. "'When we get you there, you can sit down and slide.' Dillon helped, and some time afterwards they came up with Peter. "'Where's Jimmy?' Deering asked in a sharp voice. Stannard reckoned he was near the spot he'd marked. He took a rope, and Gillane and Jimmy went along. They allowed I must stop to watch out for you. You let Jimmy go? Sure I did, said Peter, with sullen quietness. I reckon you needn't bother about Jimmy. Something's bitten you. Stannard's all right. If he can't help us, we have got to freeze. Deering said nothing. Stannard's charm was strong, and cold and fatigue had dulled Peter's brain. There was no use in arguing, and he followed the other's track. He could not see much, for the mist was thick. The ground got steeper, and rocks pierced the snow. It looked as if he were near the top of the precipice, but so long as the marks in front were plain he need not hesitate. After a few minutes he saw Gillane. The packer leaned against a massy block round which he had thrown the rope. The end was over the top of the rocks. "'Hello,' said Deering. "'What's your job?' "'I'm standing by to steady Mr. Stannard.' Top of the gully's blocked, 
and he calculated to get in by a traverse across the front. There's a kind of ledge, but we didn't see a good anchor hold. Deering remarked that the fellow's grasp was slack, and a single turn of the rope was round the stone. If a heavy strain came on the end, he thought the rope would run, and Gillane would not have time to throw on another loop cold and fatigue had made him careless. "'Get a good hold and stiffen up,' said Deering. "'I'm going after Stannard.' The rocks were not as steep as he had thought, and the ledge was wide enough to carry him, but a yard or two in front it turned a corner. Although the mist was puzzling, Deering thought it melted. In the meantime, he must reach the corner." Sometimes Jimmy was rash, and if Stannard allowed him to run a risk he ought not to run, nobody would know. When Deering got to the corner, the mist rolled off the mountain top. He saw a tremendous slope of rock pierced by a narrow white hollow. For four or five hundred feet the gully went down and gradually melted in a fresh wave of mist. Deering noted the sharpness of the pitch, and then fixed his glance on Stannard, who leaned back against the rock. Jimmy, holding on by Stannard's shoulder, was trying to get past on the outside of the ledge. Deering stopped, and his heart beat. The others did not see him, and he dared not shout, but if Stannard moved, it was obvious Jimmy would fall. Stannard did not move, and Jimmy, crossing in front of him, stopped and looked down. "'The stretch is awkward, and you can't steady me,' he said. "'Still, I think I could reach the slab and slide into the gully. Before we bring the others, perhaps I ought to try.' "'You have a longer reach than mine, and you are younger,' Stannard replied." Deering could not see the slab, but he imagined Stannard had noted something about it that Jimmy had not. Now Jimmy fronted the other way, Stannard's hand was at his waist, and Deering thought he loosed the knot on the rope. "'Hold on, Jimmy,' he said in a quiet voice. Jimmy stopped. Stannard turned, and although his look was cool, Deering thought his coolness forced. He leaned against the rock, but Deering saw his hands were occupied behind his back. "'I thought you went for Stevens,' he remarked. "'The kid wasn't far back,' Deering replied and laughed. "'Gillane's rattled and half-frozen. I reckon he might let you go, but my two hundred pounds is a pretty good anchor.' Slip off the rope and I'll help Jimmy. He won't pull me off. Stannard awkwardly pulled out the knot, and Deering, who had thought to see the rope fall, was baffled. For all that, he knew Stannard's cleverness and imagined the fellow knew he had experimented. I'm going in front of you, he resumed. Wait until I tie on, Jimmy. You can't trust the slab. When he had tied on, he braced himself against the rock. Jimmy vanished across the edge, and the rope got tight. 
after a few minutes, he came up. So far as I can see, we can get down by cutting steps, but I couldn't see very far, he said. Your tip about the slab was useful, Deering. The top was rotten, and a lump came off. I was lucky because I put on the rope. On the rocks, caution pays, Deering remarked. Well, let's get up and go for the others. Cutting steps for four or five hundred feet is a pretty long job. They went back along the ledge, but Deering felt slack and his big hands shook. He had borne some strain, and rather thought that had he arrived a few moments later, Jimmy, and perhaps Gillane, would have gone down the rocks. Yet he did not know. In fact, he admitted that he might not altogether know. End of chapter 30 Recording by Roger Moline